Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself and made yourself known through your word. God, that as we read scripture, we don't just read the words of men. We read words that were inspired by the very spirit of God. Intentional words. Words that were written down that we might know you, that we might receive salvation, and that we might fulfill the purpose that you have for our lives. God, as we continue in the Gospel of John, as we pick back up in the Gospel of John and, and look at the second half of, of this amazing and interesting book, this account of Jesus' life and ministry, of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, I, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are, as I just mentioned, back in the Gospel of John, our old friend, uh, we were in John last year from September till spring. Uh, we got halfway through the Gospel of John, which is a great uh, breaking point. And so we took a break for the summer, went into Philippians as well as some other things that we did this summer sermon-wise. But now we're back into the Gospel of John and we're going to look at the second half. And this second half, if you, if you were here last year, you, you probably heard me mention this. But the first really 11 and a half chapters... Of, of the Gospel of John cover the first couple of years of Jesus' ministry. But this second half, this last 10 chapters, covers the last week of his life. And so as John you know, hits kind of the highlights of Jesus' ministry for a couple years, now he's going to slow down. And he's going to give us uh, in great detail the events of the last few days of Jesus' life before the cross. And so we're going to pick up in John chapter 11, verse 55. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can read along uh, on the screen behind me. John 11, verse 55 says, Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so that they could arrest him. Chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, and one of the, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. They, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this per perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Then a large crowd of Jews learned he was there. They came not only because, Jesus, because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one who he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. All right, this is the passage we want to look at today. So just to give you a quick little bit of background here and maybe even a little bit of geography. So Jerusalem, of course, is the main city of all of the events of Israel. That's where the temple's at at the time of Jesus. That's where everybody would come to celebrate the various 
feasts and celebrations throughout the year. That's where they would, that was their main center of worship. And so now Jesus, for a couple of years, has gone about his ministry and he's done many miraculous things. In fact, John's gospel is, 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 is unique in that he has organized his gospel, especially those first 11 chapters, according to the seven miracles that Jesus does that, that um, John wants to highlight. Jesus, of course, did many more than seven. Uh, but John wants us to know about seven in particular. He calls forth seven witnesses, the testimony of seven different people who, uh, who testify to who Jesus is. And then he gives us these seven I am sayings of Jesus. And so John has organized all of this. He's, he's presented his evidence. He's made his argument for who Jesus is. And now he's going to show us what Jesus came to do. But for those first couple of years of Jesus' ministry, he, he really operated freely among the Jews and, and around Israel. And yes, there was opposition and, and there was concern over what he was doing. But really, up to this point, there was no serious attempt to arrest or to hold Jesus accountable, uh, at least for the things that they thought he was guilty of. But now the situation has changed. Jesus came to Bethany, the home of good friends of his, because his good friend Lazarus had died. In fact, he got word before, Je before Lazarus died that Lazarus was sick. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, wanted Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus so that he wouldn't die. But, if, but as we, we learned back in the spring, that Jesus waited intentionally, allowing Lazarus to die so that he could come and raise him from the dead. Now, once Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, everything changes. The Jews are no longer going to put up with this, as we saw in this passage here. Many of the Jews are now beginning to follow Jesus because of the miracles that he is doing. And, this, and now you got this guy, Lazarus, who's one of them. Mind you, all of, pretty much all of the people involved so far are all part of the Jewish community. Lazarus is one of them. He's friends with many of the Jews from Jerusalem. Bethany is a town just outside of Jerusalem. And so they would more than likely go there often. And, and likewise, people from Jerusalem would come to Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house. They knew them. They had relationship with them. And now that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, the Jews aren't going to tolerate it anymore. Not only have they determined to arrest Jesus, but they've put a bounty out on Lazarus's head as well. And so they've, they've instructed all of the Jews in the area and all of the Jews are now coming into Jerusalem from, from throughout Israel to celebrate the, the, the Passover in Jerusalem. If you see Jesus or you see Lazarus, let us know. And their intentions obviously are to arrest and to have them killed. So that's the setting of what's going on. Within this context, we read in chapter 12 verse 1 that six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. All right. You got two of Israel's most wanted now in the house together. This is something the Jews are going to want to know about. This is something that's not going to go unnoticed. So they come together and they're having dinner. They, they throw this dinner for Jesus in verse 2. They, so they gave a dinner for him there because he had raised Lazarus from, from the dead. They're showing their appreciation. And, and, and other Jews are coming to celebrate and to enjoy this sort of celebration together. As Martha was serving them and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him, uh, 
from, from what we know about the history of this time, that the table would have been low to the ground, and they actually would have leaned back on the table with their feet facing outward. So the table would be behind them, and they'd be leaning out, like feet out that way. And that's what it means, reclining at the table. They're enjoying some food together. They're, they're fellowshipping. They're, they're talking. They're having a good time. It says, Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard. I don't hear any of the perfume companies picking up that name as a marketing strategy. Nard, it just sounds so strange. But it's pure and expensive nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What I want to talk about today is what it looks like to, be, to live a life of devotion to Christ. What does it mean to be devoted to him? What, is it, what does it mean to, to give our lives to expressing our love and our adoration and our admiration for who Jesus is and for what he has done? There's, there's four considerations of devotion that I think this story highlights that are true then and they're still true today. There's four things that we need to consider as we consider a life of devotion. The first one is this. You'll see this on the handout if you want to take time to, to fill in the blanks and, and take these notes with you today. I also encourage you to write down scriptural references or anything else that, that, that you hear today or that even pops into your mind that you're thinking about. It's good to write those things down. The reason we like to write these things down is because life gets busy. You leave here and you're immediately ambushed by everything else that you're going to do today. And it's easy to forget. But when you write things down, not only, not only does it engage you in the learning process in a different way here and now, but it's something you can reference later in the week and hopefully uh, take the message even deeper. The first one is the cost of devotion. The first consideration of devotion is the cost. The cost of devotion. So they gave a dinner for him there. Mary was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, a, a, a pound of expensive perfume is estimated to have cost about a year's worth of wages. A year's worth of wages. So this is no small sacrifice. And, and we don't know a lot about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. If, if maybe they were just super wealthy and, and had stuff like this to throw away. But it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like this was something of, of, of very high value to her. Perhaps the most valuable thing that she owned. It's possible that this was even something that was passed down to her. It was, it was a source of wealth. It was, a, it was, it was something that was, if you had this, it was no small thing to have. And so however she came about it, it, it was very valuable to her. Not only did it cost a lot of money, but it had specific uses. One can imagine that she could have gotten away with just using a little bit of it. But she chose to use all of it. As she anointed Jesus' feet. Now we know from other, the other accounts in the other gospels that it's likely that she didn't anoint only his feet. That she probably anointed him from head to toe. Um, we can derive that 
not only from the other accounts, but the amount. It would have it would have been quite excessive to use that amount of perfume just on his feet. It would have just been pouring off of his feet. So it's likely that she anointed him from head to toe. But it, but John wants us to understand here. He wants to highlight the the reality that she anointed his feet. Likely because in just a couple of chapters, Jesus is, is going to perform a similar act for his disciples. He's going to clean their feet before he goes to the cross. And what's interesting about that is we have, so John's setting up a contrast or a comparison between the devotion here of, of Mary and her willingness to to pay the cost of devotion, her willingness to, to give up something of great value in order to express her devotion to Jesus. And, and we're going to see the contrast between that and the disciples who ultimately all desert him. And so there's this contrast that John's setting up between devotion and desertion. And it's, it's not a pretty thing to think that these men whom Jesus poured so much into would find themselves in the category of desertion. But such is the gospel. Such is the beauty of the story that Jesus dies for, for those who ultimately will desert him. Think about the cost beyond what it cost her in terms of this perfume. But the, the humiliation of this act. Here we are, we're, we're in a house. This would not have been a large house, of course. And so any, anything that you do in this, in this house, inside this room that's probably full of people, is going to get noticed. Especially if you crack open a jar of fragrant perfume and then start cleaning somebody's feet with your hair. She uses her hair to clean what... what, what would have been considered probably the, the dirtiest part of any human being at that time because they walked around in the dirt, I mean, presumably with sandals on, but your feet would get extremely dirty. This appears from, from our perspective to be a rather humiliating act of devotion. But that's all part of the cost. The cost of, of this desire to express outwardly what she's feeling inwardly. She's known Jesus for at least a couple of years. She has grown to love him and to, to appreciate him. He has, he has brought her brother back from the dead. She wants to show her appreciation. She wants to show her devotion. And so she makes this sacrifice. She gives up what, what perhaps was the most valuable thing that she owned not only that, she doesn't just give it to him and say, Jesus, do whatever you want. She does this extremely meaningful act of anointing him. She wants this to become a part of him. She, she wants this to, to, I mean, Jesus is going to walk around now with this incredible smell of perfume all over him for probably until he goes to the cross. I mean, if you've ever... If you've ever used cologne or perfume, you know it doesn't just go away within an hour. You can take that shirt off that you had and, and throw it in the laundry and then a week later go to do that laundry and pull it out and it'll, you'll still smell that. So this would have stayed with Jesus. This becomes something that I think probably a lot of people would have asked about. Jesus, dude, why do you smell like women's perfume right now, <laughs> you know? But it's the cost of her devotion. She makes this extravagant act of worship 
something that becomes very significant in the last week of Jesus' life. But it cost her. That's what I want to emphasize. There is a cost to devotion. You cannot express devotion. You cannot live a life of devotion without paying a cost. This devotion to Christ is not something that you can that you can just do while you do everything else without any additional cost. If you're going to express devotion to Christ, there's going to have to be intentional and costly effort along the way. Sometimes the cost of devotion can go as high as your life. Sometimes the cost of being devoted to Christ might cost you everything. But always it's going to cost you something. Are you willing to pay the cost of being devoted to Christ? That's the question I want to ask. Another question I want to ask is, you know, I think, I th- I think just a, a, a terribly practical application of, of what Mary has done here for our lives is, is there something that you can give up in devotion to Christ? I mean, a, a literal, like, physical object. Is there something that you can give to express your devotion to Christ. And I was thinking about this for myself, and it, it probably wouldn't benefit anybody to go into great detail, but I actually did think of something that, something that I own, that I have for years held as valuable, but really isn't serving a, a great purpose in my life that many times I thought, I should probably give that away because it would serve somebody better. And through the course of, of thinking this through for myself, I determined I'm going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about where it would be best used and I'm going to give it and, and I want to do that as an act of devotion. I want to do that as an act of worship. It's not incredibly valuable, but it's not, it's not worth nothing either. Maybe there's something that, that God is calling you to give up as part of the cost of devotion, as part of wanting to, to express your commitment to him and your love for him. I mentioned sometimes devotion can cost us as much as our lives. I want to read a story I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, a book called Jesus Freaks. And it's actually, we do, we do have our kind of little mini bookstore set up now where there's some books for sale on the top shelf. And then there's some books that we're giving away for free. I'm not sure if we have that labeled properly yet, but we will very soon so that you know what's what. But there's a book out there called Jesus Freaks that is free and you can take that if you want. Um, it's, a, it's a book that I read very early on in my Christian life and it helped me consider what, what, what so many are experiencing as the cost of devotion in comparison to what I experienced. And the reason I think that was helpful for me is because I, if, if some people are giving their lives for Christ, then it's probably not too much to ask of me to give the much smaller things that I often have to give in devotion to Christ. So let me read this story and hopefully it will drive that point home with you as well. It says the communist soldiers had discovered their illegal Bible study. I can't remember, can't remember where this takes place. I didn't note that. But it was in another country, obviously. The communist soldiers had discovered their illegal Bible study. As the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians. The leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head, Hand me your Bible, he demanded. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over his Bible, his prized possession. With a sneer on his face, 
The guard threw the word of God on the floor at his feet. He glared at the small congregation. We will let you go, he growled, but first you must spit on this book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. The believers had no choice but to obey the officer's order. A soldier pointed his gun at one of them and said, you first. The man slowly got up, knelt down by the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on it, praying, Father, please forgive me. He stood up and walked to the door. The soldier stood back and allowed him to leave. Okay, you, the soldier said, nudging a woman forward. In tears, she could barely do what the soldier demanded. She spit only a little, but it is enough. She, too, was allowed to leave. Quietly, a 16-year-old girl came forward. Overcome with love for her Lord, she knelt down and picked up the Bible. She wiped off the spit with her dress. What have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. The communist soldier pointed his pistol to her head. And that day she gave her life in devotion to Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting that will be the cost of devotion for you or I. It may. I, I can't promise you that it won't be. But I just wanted to show you an example of, of a Mary-like heart. Mary who was willing to give everything, who was willing to give something no matter the cost, no matter the price, to express her devotion to her Lord that is exemplified here in a more modern day example by this 16-year-old girl who was willing to give even her life. Whatever the cost of devotion in your life, whatever the cost that Jesus calls on you to pay in order to express your devotion to him, it is a cost too small to pay in light of what he has done for us. So the first consideration of devotion, the cost. What has it cost you? What might it cost you? What cost are you willing to pay? Is there a cost you're not willing to pay? Is there, is there a line that you draw and you say, man, if I was in that situation, I would not have given my life for Christ. And I'm not, I, I'm not even going to judge whether or not that's right or wrong. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't condemn those who, who, who did that. I may have convinced myself in that moment, hey, I mean, I love the word of God, but this is just a book. This is just paper. Uh, I can still love. I don't know. I don't know what I would have done in that situation. And, and it's not really about what was right or wrong. It's about the, the example of this young girl whose devotion had no end. She would pay any cost, even her life, to express her devotion to Christ. That's what we should aim for. But there is a cost. The next thing, though, uh, the next consideration of devotion is the objection to devotion. So we see the cost that Mary was willing to pay. She, she breaks out one of, one of her, her, her most cherished resources and, and most treasured possessions and she uses it to express her devotion. Well, devotion almost always comes with objection. You're not always going to find that when you express devotion to Christ that everybody around you is going to cheer. Some of, you, some of them are going to object. Some of them are going to have a problem with what you're doing. Let's read about it in verse 4. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said... Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. So Judas raises the objection, but 
But notice the manner in which he raises the objection doesn't necessarily reveal the true nature of his heart. He makes it sound so good. That's not a bad point. If you had something that was worth a year's worth of wages and you could sell it for that, you could do an enormous amount of good for a lot of people. Why waste all of that on just pouring perfume on one man's body? For, for what reason? What good did this accomplish? It makes it sound good. Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But his, his heart is revealed by John's words. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Often the objections that we face to devotion follow the same pattern. They might sound good. Why, why do you got to be so into Jesus? Why do you go to church so much? Why are you always talking about the Bible? I don't, whatever objections someone might raise to your devotion. You know, you, you sign up to go on a mission trip. You use up your vacation time for work. You, you, you spend a lot of money to go and to serve somebody else. And people are going to say, why? Why would you do that? Some people might even make it sound good. Well, wasn't it kind of selfish of you to spend all that money for you to go on the trip when you could have taken that same amount of money and fed so many people? Sounds good, doesn't it? But objections to devotion never come from an innocent or pure heart. The objection may appear noble, but anything that is meant to discourage our devotion to Christ is, is not noble in any way, shape, or form. I can think of many times, especially early on in my life. I mean, I think at this point, everybody around me has just accepted that I'm a weirdo. I'm a pastor. I don't know. People don't, it's, it's weird being a pastor, by the way. Like, people don't know how to talk to you. You know, a swear word comes out. I'm sorry, pastor. I'm like, oh, I'm glad you're sorry because I don't tolerate this. I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear this, you know. Um, but, you know, especially among, like, family and friends, when I first became a committed Christian, everybody was weirded out, man. They're like, what's going on with you? And, and there were people that, you know, would make fun of that. Or there were people that would try to get me to do things that knew, they knew weren't consistent with that. And, and that's probably been your experience to some degree, too. People, don't not, people who, who haven't experienced Jesus Christ don't understand devotion to Jesus Christ. It seems weird to them. It's odd to them. And, and, it, and it probably makes them uncomfortable. And, and we got to understand, that's where those objections come from. Objections to devote. If you're going to do things that express devotion to Christ, you should expect that there are going to be objections. It's most difficult and most hurtful when those objections come from people close to you, though. There was people within my own, with my, in my own immediate family that I think filled this role when I first came to Christ. That was hard. That was hard. Many of you know that pain and know that difficulty. You know some of you live with a, an unbelieving spouse who objects to your devotion and makes it harder for you to serve the Lord. Many of you have, have, have had close loved ones or close friends who have maybe turned away from you because of your devotion to Christ. That's part of the cost. It's part of the cost. How did people respond to Mary? Other than, I mean, 
imagine, imagine this. I mean, I don't, like, what, I don't know what made Mary do this. I don't know, and, and, and it's not helpful probably to, to speculate too much, so don't take this too far. But, you know, is she, is she standing in the other room for a while holding this, this jar of perfume thinking, should I really do this? Is there, is there a better use of this? Should, maybe, maybe the thought had already crossed her mind. You know, I could sell this and, and, and we could feed a lot of people. Maybe that was an insecurity that was already in her mind. And then she finally pushes through that and she, she, she pays the cost. She does this act of devotion for Jesus. And then immediately one of the disciples, now we know him as Judas. It's even in parentheses here who was about to betray him. She didn't know him as Judas, who was about to betray him. She knew him as G- Judas, one of Jesus' closest followers, one of the 12, a man who was, who was probably respected. And now this man who's respected is shaming her. He's raising this objection. And he, he, he says, why didn't we sell this and feed the poor? I don't know what's going through her mind. She's like, is she like, man, I, I knew it. That's what we should have done, right? Is she second guessing this? We don't know. Probably not. She seems to have been quite convinced. But imagine the humiliation of this woman. Not just to physically do what she did, but now to have the leaders in the room ridicule her. Well, fortunately, it doesn't end with ridicule. The third consideration of devotion is this, the brief opportunity for devotion. There's a brief opportunity for devotion. Jesus answered, verse 7, Jesus answered, leave her alone. How relieved she must be to hear those words. All eyes in the room are on her. And now the leaders are speaking up. And they're, they're, they're putting her down. They're ridiculing her. They're objecting to her devotion. But what does Jesus do? Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor, but you do not always have me. Maybe I, I should have added one here. Something like the reassurance of devotion or something like that. Because... The beauty of Jesus reassuring her act of devotion. The beauty of the, the, the peace of knowing that after you've paid the cost, after you've encountered the objection, that you have assurance that Jesus notices and Jesus accepts your act of devotion. That's a beautiful thing to see in this passage. Wish I'd have seen that last week. That would have been good. I should have wrote that in there. But he says, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. Now, they don't know what Jesus is talking about. The day of my burial is not an idea that they have embraced yet. It's not that he hasn't brought this up before. But it's not an idea that they comprehend or understand or have embraced. And he says, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. What is he talking about? We all, Jesus, we've been with you for like two or three years now. Where are you going? We're, gonna ha- we're young men. 
We're in the prime of our lives. Where You're not going anywhere. She has kept it for the day of my burial. Today is not the day of your burial, Jesus. He's, he's pointing to something that we don't know how much she understood this. But he's pointing to the fact that, that she has acted she has acted upon something that even his closest followers haven't begun to understand. They put her down. He elevates her. They want to humiliate her. Oh, I say they. I don't know if there's any evidence that anybody other than Judas was thinking this way. But Judas wants to humiliate her, but Jesus elevates her. Leave her alone. The leaders start to, to speak amongst themselves, and one of them s- speaks up, and he says, what's this, what's this woman doing? What's wrong with her? We could have sold this and done so much good with this. But then the leader in the room speaks up. He says, you leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. Now Judas is the one in humiliation. In fact, we know that after this, he goes and he approaches the the Jewish leaders, and he agrees to the terms of, of his betrayal. Safe to say he was humiliated here. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Devotion comes at a cost. Devotion will raise objections, but it's important to know that devotion only, only provides a brief opportunity. What I mean by this is you and I have one life. We're either going to live it in devotion to Christ or we're going to live it in devotion to something else far less valuable. We have a brief opportunity. You have one today. You get one tomorrow. You get one life. There's only going to be one 2021 year in your life. Are you using it in devotion to Christ? Because it's going away. That brief opportunity, that brief opportunity for devotion, she could have hesitated. She could have talked herself out of this. She could have said, no, this is, you know what, this is, this is worth too much. I'm not I'm just going to throw it away like this. She could have talked herself out of that, and she would have missed the opportunity to do one of the most significant things for Jesus that any human being ever did during his earthly life and ministry. It was a brief opportunity, and she took it. That brief opportunity to use her life, to use her time, to use her reputation, to put all of that on the line, to use her resources... She puts all of that on the line and says, I offer it in devotion to this man I love, Jesus of Nazareth. You and I have a brief opportunity. We get one chance at this. Those opportunities you didn't take in the past, they're not coming back. They're gone. The opportunities you have today are fading quickly. The opportunities that you might have tomorrow will be here and they'll be gone before you know it. We have but a brief opportunity for devotion. These past couple of weeks, a couple of significant Christian leaders in the Pittsburgh area have passed away. And I was 
I, I came across something. Um, Jay Passavent, the founding pastor of, um, oh gosh, now I'm drawing a blank. Northway, thank you. Uh, the founding pastor of Northway Christian Ministries in uh, Wexford, a uh, church that's had a significant impact on many people in the area, uh, passed away. Tunch Ilkin, uh, vo- uh, many of you know him as the voice of the Steelers. He played for the Steelers in the 70s and 80s. He's been uh, the radio personality of the Steelers for a couple of decades now, a devoted Christian man who did a lot to, to advance the gospel in the area of, of Pittsburgh. And these, these two men, these two Christian leaders, their opportunity's gone now. And, and I came across something where somebody said, you know, Pittsburgh's lost two great Christian leaders. Who's going to step up and replace them? And that made me think, man, we just have this brief opportunity. So I started, uh, when, when Tunch Ilkin passed away, I was going back and watching some of the videos on YouTube of him sharing his testimony. And one of them was from the 80s where he's talking about when he came to the Pittsburgh Steelers and he was playing with a lot of those legends from the 70s Super Bowl teams and uh, how a lot of those guys were Christ followers and they were after him to become a Christ follower too. In fact, in, in his testimony, he says that it was Mike Webster, uh, Mike Webster who played for the Steelers back in those days as well, who was inducted into the Hall of Fame and then eventually became uh, the most notable CTE death um, that, that led to all of this stuff that we're seeing in the NFL and in sports in, in general now uh, about, you know, brain safety and brain health and all of this stuff. Um, Mike Webster was one of the guys who, who influenced Tunch Ilkin to become a Christian. And I thought, man, this, this opportunity that we have to impact others for Christ and the legacy that we can leave behind Mike Webster's story in many respects is a sad story with a sad ending. But Jesus used him to influence others for Christ. Mary, I don't know how her life ended. I mean, the Jews are, the Jews are starting to round people up who are this close to Jesus and punishing them. I don't, I don't know how her story ends, but I know that for this brief opportunity that she had for devotion, she took it. And she made an impact for Christ. I want to read a, a quick story about Tunch Elkin from Colin Dunlap. He's one of the 93.7 um, broadcasters on, on the Fan FM. He said, a few years ago, as our daughter was in the middle of harsh cancer treatment, I was doing a morning broadcast from Latrobe Steelers Camp. As our show was ending, Tunch, Tunch was due to begin on another network, but under a nearby tent. I was packing up, and he came over. I've been following your daughter's story. She's something, he said. Wow, I said, that means a lot. Can I pray for her, he asked. Sure, I said quickly, thinking he was going to add her to his prayer list at church or something. Before I knew it, Tunch reached over, locked his hand in mine, and said a thoughtful prayer. Like he meant pray right then. It wasn't strange or odd. It was absolutely perfect, and it was sincere. I'll never forget it. What a person. That brief opportunity, those brief opportunities that we get just day in and day out to express our devotion for Christ, to, to advance the gospel in this world, to bring light into a dark place. Mary didn't miss hers. She didn't miss her opportunity. 
In fact, in Jesus, in one of the other gospel accounts of this, says that what she has done, wherever the gospel is told, her story will be told as well. What will people say about you? Will you be known as a person of devotion? Will you be known as a person who genuinely loved and followed Christ and made an impact on the people around you? I want to encourage you to consider the fourth and final consideration of devotion, the lasting impact of devotion. We've talked about the cost, and we know that devotion will cost us something. We've talked about the objection. We should be prepared that there's going to be, oftentimes when we express devotion to Christ, there's going to be objections. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be people who don't understand We talked about, though I didn't have it in there, the reassurance of our devotion. And then we talked about the brief opportunity for devotion. But we really should stop and think, is it really worth it? Is devotion really worth the cost and the objection? Well, I want to share with you the lasting impact of devotion. The lasting impact of devotion And to do this, I want to turn to to Mark's account of Mary's anointing Jesus. In Mark chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, it says, this is what Jesus said. She has done what she could. Those are reassuring words. She has done what she could. Jesus doesn't ask us to do everything. He doesn't ask us to do what we can't. But she has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for for burial. Again, This is some of the evidence that it wasn't just his feet. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The impact of her devotion has endured even until today. We're standing here talking about this simple act that she did because Because she made the decision to go through with this. Because she made the decision to push back the objections that she figured she would face. And to pay the price. Because she seized on the brief opportunity. The lasting impact of her devotion lasts until today. And will last into eternity. She did something that will be talked about forever. Now not everything you and I do is going to fall into that category. But it will have an impact. It will have a lasting impact. I think about that story that I read from Colin Dunlap about how that simple act of of caring about his daughter and being willing to stop in the middle of a busy day and just say a, a prayer for her made a lasting impact on him. And how many of those opportunities that we have each and every day. I started thinking about what she did and, and pre- presumably Jesus had long hair, I don't know. That's what the, the, the paintings say. I think those are, are accurate. Uh, but he definitely had a beard. We know that because his beard gets pulled out at the resurrection. Um, he's traveling. I'm guessing he doesn't have like suitcases full of clothes. So it's possible that, that he wore those clothes that he was anointed in. Um, maybe the rest of, of the week until his, I mean, remember, he's, 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 in, he's going into Jerusalem. That's what we're going to look at next week. And he's not going to leave Jerusalem. He's going there to die. 
He only has a few weeks left. This story begins with six days before the Passover. So this is within a week of Jesus' crucifixion. So if, 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 if my thinking is right on this, that smell probably stayed with him all week long. That's not in scripture. I'm not going to die on that hill or anything. But if that's the case, imagine, imagine how that may have impacted Jesus' thinking as he goes through the events of the coming week. He would have smelled that fragrance. He would have been reminded of Mary's devotion. He would have been reminded of why he was doing what he was about to do. It's possible. I don't like, I get very uncomfortable with this kind of speculation, as I'm sure you can tell. It's possible that as Jesus was being beaten, perhaps even when he went to the cross, that that fragrance was still with him. I say that just, just to, to illustrate the point that there, when we act out of devotion to Christ, there is a lingering effect. There is, there is a lasting impact. When we do things, when we do things that, that only impact, let's say, the worldly things around us, when we, when, when we do things that, that are, are short-sighted and, and don't have an element of devotion to Christ, we can expect that those things absolutely will dissolve into eternity. They'll have no lasting impact. They'll have no lasting value. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care about the new car that you bought. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care about how your fantasy football team did. Well, maybe. I mean, we can bring that up in heaven. Talk about that. So many of the things that we do a hundred years from now will mean nothing. They won't mean a thing. But the things that we do in devotion to Christ have an eternal and lasting impact. She, she took a financial hit that day. But that seems like it was a pretty good investment, don't you think? When I pay my bills each month, it's, I don't know, it's an honor to pay your bills. <laughs> Say, okay, I've, I've provided for my family, I've paid the mortgage, I've paid the, the electric bill, we have air conditioning, we're blessed. We live in an incredible, uh, incredible part of the world. And, and we're blessed to be here. But that money just kind of disappears, right? But when I give financially to, to the cause of Christ, I know that money is a part of my eternity. I've made an investment into something that's going to last forever. We make car payments every month, or, or maybe you buy your cars with cash. Either way, th- th- one of the most depressing things in the world is paying money for a car. It's so depressing because it just goes down in value every single day. Every mile that you put on it, every rotation of those tires, it's losing value. But when we give, and I'm not just talking financially, I'm talking about our time and our our efforts and and our lives. When we give out of devotion to Christ, that investment is with us forever. Never leaves us. It has a lasting impact. Is it worth the cost? It's more worth it than anything else you will ever do with your life. Devotion to Jesus is the most rewarding thing that you can possibly do. 
there's no cost. There, there's no point where the cost becomes too high. There's no point where the return of investment doesn't make any sense. The more, the more that you give of yourself in devotion to Christ, the greater the impact, the greater the return on that investment forever. Forever. So let me ask you some simple questions, or maybe just one simple question. Are you living for the things that will last in eternity, or are you living for the things that won't matter a few short years from now? Just think about everything you did in the past week. And look, I'm, there's things that we, there's, I mean, part of being a mature Christian is handling your earthly business as well. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to work and that we shouldn't pay our bills. And, and I'm not suggesting any of that at all. Please don't hear any hint of that. But are you living for the things, when it comes down to it, is your life really about the things that will last in eternity or the things that won't matter just a few years from now? Ask yourself, of everything you've done in the past week, which of those things will matter 100 years from now? Or 1,000 years from now? Because you're still going to be alive then. <laughs> you're, you're going to live in eternity. So how many of the things that you've done over the past week will matter then? Let me close with one of my favorite uh, sayings. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for including this story in your word. What a beautiful illustration of how, how devotion to you plays out. As we're reminded that immediately there's a cost. Devotion to you doesn't, doesn't come without paying some sort of price. And as we're reminded of the objections that we might face, God, may we, be, may we be even more reminded of the lasting impact that these brief opportunities provide. And may we not hesitate, but may we live our lives in devotion to you, the one who went and died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life. Father, if there's anybody here who, who's not living a life of devotion to you because they haven't trusted, uh, trusted in you for salvation, or they haven't asked you to forgive them of their sins and, and to cause them to be born again, I pray that today would be the day that they would commit their lives to you and that they would just cry out right now in their own hearts and minds, Jesus, save me. Forgive my sins and give me eternal life and teach me to live a life of devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray.